0: Welcome back to this episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. If you haven't already like, comment, subscribe, turn on post notifications so you know when live stream obviously drops. Uh, interesting episode we have today. Uh, this guy recently did an interview with another New York Giants content creator. He was on my channel last year to preview the 2020 season. Now he's back on Paul Latino. Paul, how are you doing? Um, and with that being said, I'll ask this first question because I know you have another interview to do. Um... Just, uh, just off the top of my head, before we get to the depth chart and everything, a lot of Giants fans were unhappy last year with the offense. Daniel Jones regressed. The O-line play was poor. Snow Saquon Barkley mixed in with curl routes, comeback routes, and a conservative playbook. What are your thoughts on this, and is there any speculation the Giants move to a vertical-style offense with upgraded weapons?
1: Well, first of all, everything's well. Hope the same for you. Uh, in terms of this offense, I don't think there's any question that the Giants' playbook will be expanded this year. We know that last year, Saquon Barkley, a very big part of what they wanted to do, got injured early in the season and was wiped out. We know that the offensive line was being rebuilt, was a work in progress, struggled a lot during the first half of the season, got its run blocking going midway through the year, but never really solidified the pass protection. And so that became an issue. Quite honestly, the core of targets that Daniel Jones had to throw to during the course of the year was not nearly to the level that it is right now. And uh, on top of that, quite quite honestly, even even though we're talking about you know a group of stars, and you know obviously Ingram might count the tight end as part of that last year, they had a lot of drops. You know they didn't produce even as well as they should have produced. You put all of these things together with the injury to Daniel Jones, when obviously, you know, we missed a little bit of time and then played the Cardinals game when he shouldn't have on that sprained ankle. I mean, come on. I I just rattled off probably five reasons why the Giants offense should have struggled last year. And they did. Gee, what a surprise. Uh, It seems to me almost all of those things are expected to be on the uprise and better this season. So do I think that they will open up the playbook more? Absolutely, I do. Do I think they're going to score 30 points a game? No, I do not. In fact, I predicted they'd go from about 17 last year to about 23 points a game this year. And I think that's good enough to get them 10 wins in a division championship with this defense and these special teams that they've got. So that's kind of my long-winded answer to your very very point- pert- pertinent and pointed question.
0: Definitely. So, regarding this offensive line, obviously now, you know, we were questioning a couple of days ago, you know, who's going to start at right tackle to start the season. Um, Matt Mm -hmm. Perrett and Nate Solder had their fair share of struggles in the preseason, especially in Game 3. That's where we saw the most. Today, it looks like Nate Solder, just based off the depth chart, is going to be that starting right tackle in Week 1. A lot of Giant fans, they're actually not happy about this because they want to see Parrott develop, they want to see him get into games, and they don't want to see Nate Solder out there, another veteran like Cameron Fleming last year. And they're, you know, starting to talk about a little bit on Twitter. You know, should we have sl- drafted Slater and all these guys? Um, me, personally, I'm a little tired of the rotational system because I do want to see Parrot play. But also, you know, he's a third-round pick that didn't really come out of a good college. They're... Uh, the program's head coach just resigned. You know, they don't really have a lot of great football over there at UConn. But, you know, one side of me thinks, well, he needs time to develop and get the, you know, get the struggles out, and Denver would be a good game. Also as well, you know, let him sit, learn behind Solder. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on this, and do you think that they have a rotational system like last year? What do you think comes out of it?
1: You're asking me a whole encyclopedia of questions there. Let's try to take these one issue at a time. Going back to the joint practices in Cleveland, I started to tell people on Big Blue Kickoff Live that don't be surprised if Nate Solder not only shares snaps with Parrott, but actually is the starter opening day against Denver. What you see on that unofficial public relations depth chart is not a surprise to me. I've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. I've been talking about it even more frequently in the last several days because I don't think Parrot has done enough during the summer to grab a stranglehold on the position. That was the hope. That was the anticipation. He's been slower coming along than they wanted to. Than they wanted him to. At least I think so. So what do you do? Well, Nate Solder says he's healthy. He's fresher, uh, in the best shape that he's been since he's been with the Giants. He's a decade-long veteran of the NFL. And you're opening up against Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. It seems to me it makes a whole lot of sense that you would go with Solder in the first game against Denver while you continue to groom Parrot and see how quickly he can come along. Now, to do that, you got a couple of choices. Do you just say, we'll spot duty him like you did last year when Fleming was the starter, which is certainly an option, and we know Joe Judge isn't afraid to do it. And quite frankly, I don't have a problem with that because getting Perch some action will, in fact, increase his learning curve. Or should I say decrease his learning curve, depending upon how you want to look at it. The point is, it will speed it up. Or do you say, you know what? pair just didn't get it as quick as they wanted him to. The year's a wash. Score with Solder. Let him play as long as he can play. And then if he breaks down or he can't hack it any longer, then you just throw pert into the per it into the fire. I don't think that's the best decision, but it's certainly an option because then you're playing Solder full-time with the anticipation that he's going to hold up as long as possible and give you some quality play at the spot. So it's an option, one I would not take. I firmly recommend Solder starts and pair spells him during the course of the game and use the rotational system that they had last year.
0: Definitely. Um, Another problem with this offensive line or another question mark is that left guard position. Shane Lemieux right now is dealing with a partially torn Patel attendant. If I'm getting that correctly, Uh, Victor Cruz suffered a full one back in 2014. So obviously that gives giants fans the heebie jeebies. Um, How he's, how has he been progressing through this injury And obviously, and this could also be another question that, you know, jumps in here as well. Personally, I thought the reason the New York Giants went out and got these guards and these interior offensive linemen at the waiver wire is because uh, they saw what they had in uh, Jake Burton and all these other guys, and they didn't work out, and they didn't want to go into the season with, you know, a Ted Larson or a Kenny Wiggins at guard. So that's why I thought that they were going to do it. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on that as well, but... How has Lemieux been during practice? Obviously, the beat sees aside that the fans don't. And is there any sign that Matt Scura, Bradison, or Billy Price replace him at Week One? Excuse me, in Week One at left guard. All
1: right, let's take Lemieux first. Nobody knows what his injury is. The report that you're referring to was an NFL Network report that is unconfirmed. And from what I understand, with the patella tendon, if it is torn, fully torn much like what Victor Cruz had that was fully torn, uh, you're done. You you go for surgery to reattach it, and you're done for the season. That obviously is not the case because a short time after Lemieux went out with the injury, uh, the knee injury, which is all I'm going to, go, going to call it because that's all I know that's confirmed, he was back on the side of the practice field working out with the trainers, and then within the last two weeks has been at practice and has actually taken snaps on the practice field. So, let's say this. From what I understand, generically speaking, if the patellar tendon is the issue, from a generic perspective, I am told that if it is a minor issue, it is a strain and not one that requires surgery, it can heal on its own. Depending upon the severity of the injury, I am told you have to totally immobilize the knee. Well, if you're following what I'm saying, he's not immobilized. Yeah, He's out there on the practice field, and he's taking some reps and snaps. So if, in fact, that is the area of the injury, it is a patella tendon, obviously it's very minor, or he wouldn't be on the practice field taking snaps, would he? He would not. Okay. So I go with facts. I don't go with rumors. And those are the facts. And everybody who's in practice can see that. Those are facts. So I don't know exactly what the injury is, but I know the man is taking snaps in practice. Now, because he has been taking limited snaps, he's not been a full go. Is it entirely possible that he is just early along or middle through the healing process? Makes sense to me. Could that possibly mean that he gets spelled because maybe he's not ready for 75 snaps against Denver in week one? and maybe Bredesen spells him some snaps at left guard because, you know, he hasn't been conditioned enough to take the full load? Absolutely possible. I do think Lemieux will start against Denver. I don't know that he'll play every snap. And maybe over the course of the first few weeks, you may see him spelled. And who knows? Depending upon the production, could Bredesen wrestle the job away from him at some point during the season? maybe that's possible. You know, I think we have to be very careful sometimes in trying to look for absolute answers when absolute answers don't exist.
0: Definitely agree with you there. Uh, moving on to more of the depth chart, really take Crowder was named the second linebacker or the first linebacker next to Blake Martinez. Uh, Reggie Ragland played a chunk of snaps in the preseason with the ones and the twos. And a lot of people were just not impressed because nothing really happened with Reggie Ragland. But, uh, You know, what are your thoughts on that? And do you think the Giants, not just they don't have, you know, take Crowder starting next to him. Do you think they just have, you know, rotating linebackers like, you know, a couple of snaps of Crowder, though, Coughlin, and then they will have Reggie Ragland. They keep that rotated system, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if they do mix and match, because that's what Patrick Graham wants to do with his personnel anyway. Um, I do believe that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Carter Coughlin – is a guy still in that mix. And it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the year, between those three players, you see more of Carter Coughlin and Tate Crowder than you do Reggie Ragland. That would not surprise me. Um, so you got to remember, sometimes preseason snaps aren't necessarily because the guy's winning a job. Sometimes preseason snaps are to show what the guy's limitations may be. It works in reverse sometimes. And so, you know, don't be so quick to necessarily think that Reggie Ragland is a major part of what they want to do in there. I know that based on what I've seen at practice and during the preseason games, I certainly would put him third behind Crowder and Coughlin on the depth chart at that spot next to Martinez.
0: Definitely there. Uh, Would you say the same thing for Aziz Ojolari, who's behind O'Shane Zimenez and Carter in the depth chart?
1: Well, again, this is an unofficial depth chart that's put together by public relations people. It is not sanctioned, authorized, or inputted by the coaches. So let's make that clear. The depth chart that you're seeing today on the Giants.com website, in all honesty, is a guide for the media so that they have some semblance or clue if they haven't seen the team as to who plays where. It is not official by any stretch of the imagination. I think Aziz Ojolari is a significant part of what the Giants want to do with their pass rush package. I have seen him line up in many different spots on the defense during practice, during training camp. And I have seen him flashed at at all of those spots. So I think Ojolari will get his snaps unless he doesn't produce. You know, it's, it's, it's an earn me system here with the Giants. Guys who earn their snaps, guys who produce, will continue to get more. Ziminez has had a good camp. Carter has had a really good camp. So those two guys are going to get their snaps. Old Jilari has had a good camp. He'll get his share, too. And the second that any one of those guys starts to fall off, their snaps are going to be handed to one of the other guys because that's the way the Giants are going to work it.
0: Absolutely. So... Uh, on to another question, and Joe Judge really has been this coach over the past year and a half, especially with the injuries, not to give a lot away, because a lot of the people assumed, well, you know, Daniel Jones is not going to play against the Cardinals, you know, uh, some of these other guys that are injured right now, they're not going to play week one. Um, so according to the Beat Media, Kadarius Tony, Kyle Rudolph, John Ross, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, Saquon Barkley, obviously, have been progressing in practice, and then Ingram hurt his calf going back to week three against the Patriots in the preseason, in your opinion, do most, of those guys, do most of those guys play and Ingram does not? Does he come back in week three maybe because of the short week? What is your thoughts on you know the whole injury status and stuff like that?
1: Tomorrow's a very big practice. Wednesday, they're going to have full padded practice, which Joe Judge admits himself is a big test for all the guys who are ramping up off of their bumps and bruises. So we'll know a lot more after Wednesday's practice. But based on what we have seen to this point over the last week and a half, to me, I think all those guys play except for Ingram. If I had to say right now, today, Ingram is the furthest away from practicing because of his calf. He did not practice, for example, on Monday when they practiced only in shells. He was off on the side. Everybody else was taking snaps. Non-contact, but running fluidly stopping starting cutting turning doing everything they're supposed to do except get hit so i would say the arrow today points to all of those guys playing except maybe for ingram he would be the furthest away
0: definitely um something that really surprised me and a lot of people obviously doing the projections and stuff for the 53 man before it even came out and stuff like that my opinion he's a cat on his ninth life What possessed the Giants to keep Sam Beal within the 53?
1: His talent, his skill set is is unquestionably good enough to make the NFL. Now, it takes a lot for a player to make an NFL roster, including mental makeup, psychological makeup, emotional makeup, being able to get along with teammates, being able to respond in the classroom, being able to then apply certain things outside – on the field, being able to correct your mistakes, being able to quickly take coaches' instructions. There are so many things that go into making an NFL player. Sam Beal has NFL skills to make a 53-man roster at cornerback. There's no doubt. He has the skills to make it in this league. The question for me, and I think a lot of other people, has always been the rest of the package but but his skill set is good enough and the giants figure well if he's on the back end of the the depth charted cornerback, and his skill set is good enough why should we cut him
0: good point there especially within the last couple of years the cornerback depth being you know not so great um i have a question about another cornerback and a lot of the the B reporters were, were just projecting that, you know, this guy would get cut. The Giants obviously traded Isaac Yonem for Josh Jackson, the former second-round pick of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I think he was in one day in practice, and then he injured himself, and then he wasn't really practicing. A lot of people had him actually getting cut. I really thought, well, I don't think so because they traded for him. You know, that would be kind of a lost trade in terms of this right. I mean, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but it still means something. How has he been progressing through practice? And, you know, is he the immediate option behind um, James Bradbury and Adoree Jackson for outside corner? Or is Radarius Williams in front of him with the way he's been developing and impressing coaches during camp?
1: Both Radarius Williams and Sam Beal would be in front of him today. I mean, I'm just giving you a straight answer. Both of those guys have skills that, that that are competent. And they've both been getting a lot of burn during practice. So those two guys would be ahead of him today. You know, Josh hasn't been on the field enough. It's really very simple. I mean, if I'm the head coach, there's no way in the world he's getting on the field before those two guys. You know, now they did trade for him, so you knew he was going to be on the 53. I don't think there was any doubt about that. You were perceptive in that regard. But, you know, when, at what point does he know the system? We know that Patrick Graham was in Green Bay a few years ago. So he's aware of what Josh brings to the table because he saw him at his best when he came in as a rookie with the Packers. So you know that he has a good feel for the guy's skill set and wanted him to be here and knows that he's got enough to play in the league. But until he gets on the practice field and beats out uh, at least those two other guys that we talked about, why would he jump them on the depth chart?
0: Good point there, good point there. Obviously, the New York Giants traded B.J. Hill, um, you know, before the 53-man cutdown, And they kept Raymond Johnson on the roster. I thought David Moa was going to make the roster, but they kept Raymond Johnson, who impressed many during camp. Uh, why did they keep him and trade B.J. Hill? I mean, obviously, it seems like an obvious thing that they really have no desire to keep B.J. Hill on the roster. But what are your thoughts on that? What's the perception from the inside or your thoughts just overall?
1: Raymond Johnson out of Georgia Southern, uh, what, 6'3", 270 pounds. Very intriguing prospect, coming from a small school. Uh, could play probably not only defensive end, but might even be able to play some three-technique defensive tackle. I think he's versatile enough. He could play a four three or a three four. Young guy, doesn't cost you much on the salary cap, if at all. In fact, I don't think he's in the top 51 in terms of salary. So you're talking about economically, he's extremely friendly, he's young, and he's got some upside. Now, B.J. Hill, on the other hand, the truth is when Leonard Williams came over in the deal from the Jets, B.J. Hill lost a lot of his snaps. So now you have a team like Cincinnati saying, you know, we'd like to trade for B.J. Hill. Well, if you've got Raymond Johnson, who is showing you some flash, and he did flash the entire summer why wouldn't you listen to an offer for B.J. Hill? And so they did. And they, they got back uh, uh, Price. They got back the center from the Bengals, needing some offensive line depth, knowing that they had to fortify that position. They traded from a position of strength because they had the luxury of having Johnson on the team. That's that's my thought on it. I think B.J. Hill is a very competent, rotational defensive lineman in the NFL. I, I, I don't have any problems with B.J. Hill, but he certainly was not going to steal extra snaps from the guys ahead of him with the Giants. You know, at best, he, he was their fourth defensive lineman at best.
0: Do agree with you there. Do agree with you there. Um, these three guys now are either on IR or PUP. What were the statuses of Aaron Robinson, Ellerson Smith, and John Ross being put before being put on IR? I saw via video before he was put on IR, he was doing some route running uh, at MetLife. Aaron Robinson was running, I think, like a forty-yard dash, or he was doing some sort of sprints. I really don't know much about Ellerson Smith and his status. So, what were the what was the three the status of those three guys before they went on IR and PUP?
1: No, you know the truth is uh, Ross would have been the closest to being able to play. To be honest with you, but he hasn't been all out at practice during camp himself, and the other two guys far away. And and you know you're talking about Robinson, who had the you know the abdominal core surgery. So you know basically, I look at him like Xavier McKinney. You know if he comes off pup in the last month of the season because they're desperate and they have injuries, and he winds up giving them something great. But to me, I wouldn't count on him giving you any production this year, which is fine. They've got such a good secondary. Do they really need him? Um, Ellison Smith, same situation. If you've got Carter, Zimenez, Ozulari, if you want uh, Cam Brown, you know, as edge rushers, and you could always put Carter Coughlin out there if you wanted to. Let me ask you something. What is Ellison Smith going to give you? How is he going to jump those other five guys on the edge rusher position? He's not, especially when he's barely giving you anything during training camp. And he's jumping up from northern Iowa, a small school, where Bryce Pop, his coach, told me on BBKL that he was very raw and was going to need to be a developmental player. Could be very good, but he's very raw. They didn't play last year. So exactly what was anybody expecting Ellison Smith to give them in 2021? I, I don't I don't understand the perplexion there, because he's not going to give you anything this year. So to me, you know, I, I, putting him down was not an issue. They they better not have to go that deep onto the depth chart, because if they do, that means a bunch of other guys are hurt. Um, and you mentioned Ross again; he was the closest to being available. But um, he wasn't still ready to go.
0: Yeah, definitely. Obviously, he was the closest, but not close enough. Two more quick questions, of course. Uh, This one concerning the running back position. A lot of people are questioning the drafting of Gary Brightwell. Uh, Obviously, he does bring special teams value. What do the Giants see in him? And if the Giants were to... uh, Obviously, they'd probably limit, or if they don't limit, Saquon Barkley's carries. If he gets injured or something, God forbid, happens. It's probably going to be booker is it going to be brightwell and then penny or is it going to be penny brightwell because penny actually in my opinion flashed in the preseason at least the last two games at running back rather than fullback a dying position in the nfl
1: they want to give brightwell the opportunity to uh, to steal some some of that thunder as he tries to climb up the depth chart he's clearly a special teams guy which joe judge loves this is no secret he he look at this roster look how many of these guys are really good on special teams. Joe Judge wants to have a powerhouse special teams unit, and he wants to dominate field position every week. And if you think about it, it's pretty smart because if you dominate field position on specials every week, you help your offense and you help your defense. It's the one position of the three between special teams offense and defense it's the one position on the 3 that actually helps the other two together it makes perfect sense so that's why he's got three fullbacks on his roster and they all play specials penny galaspia and brightwell so that's the that's the number one reason why brightwell is here because of special teams now in terms of what he did during the camp he showed he's got a little more quickness than i think people thought and in camp, he showed that he could catch the ball out of the backfield. Now, when he was at Arizona, he had some dropsies. Didn't show that during the summer. Maybe he got over it. I don't know. We'll have to see. But I think he's given them some intriguing snaps at running back so that there is potential there that, you know, he could wind up getting some snaps at running back during the season. But I don't think there's any doubt. You know, it's Barkley, it's Booker. And then it's whatever.
0: Final set of questions here, because I know you do have another interview to do. Uh, Who wins on Sunday, in your opinion, if you're going to give an early projection? Um, How do the Giants stack up at the NFC East record-wise and their other division rivals? And do you think Ryan Izzo is the guy or one of the guys that's going to be elevated on Sunday because Ingram is probably not going to play?
1: Well... Uh, Yes, I do think the Giants uh, will beat the Broncos. Uh, It's going to be a close-to-the-vest game. Both teams want their defense to control the game. The Broncos have a soft interior defense against the run. What is their strength? They've rebuilt the corners in their secondary because they had terrible corners last year, so they rebuilt their corners. They've got two solid safeties, and they've got the two edge rushers, in Chubb and Von Miller, although Miller's coming off of a year of injury. So common sense tells you that you're not going to throw the ball 45 times a game against this team. That's just foolish. You're going to want to play to their weakness. And what is their weakness? Defending the run between the tackles. That's their weakness. Attack their interior defensive tackles and their linebackers, their interior linebackers. So, I would expect the Giants to go lopsided with the run. Don't throw it 45 times, you know. Throw it throw it 28 times, throw it 30 times, and run it 35 or 40 times. That's what I'd like to see. A much un, an unbalanced offense, heavily weighted to the run, and a lot of Devontae Booker. I would think Booker gets the most touches of any of the running backs this week. Okay? Because I would keep Barkley on a pitch count. Um, if you play that game, I think the Giants have a better chance of gouging the Broncos' rushing defense than the Broncos do about gouging the Giants' rushing defense because I think Danny Shelton is a more than adequate replacement for Dowlin Tomlinson. I don't think he is Tomlinson. He's not. Tomlinson's a better player, but Shelton's good enough, and with the rest of the defense around him, I'm not worried about Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, He's a manager. We all know that. He's in there to be safe and not make mistakes and rely on the run and the short pass. The Giants should be able to outlast the team that's going to play that style of football. The Giants, in my opinion, their 53-man roster is a 10-7 team. I believe 10-7 will get them the NFC East Division Championship. They are easily the most balanced team, offense, defense, and special teams in the division, okay, that's easy. Dallas has the best offense. The Giants have the second best offense in the division. Washington has the best defensive line, but their back seven on defense is not as good as the Giants. So I ask you, who is the best defense in the division? Is it really is it really Washington, because their defensive line so great, or is it the Giants, who have a better back seven? So you want to call that a push? Okay, I'll call it a push. And what about special teams? We've already talked about that a few minutes ago. The Giants damn well better believe they've got the best special teams in the division. They've certainly devoted the resources for it, and they certainly have the coach for it. And we know they've got the kicking game for it. So how, how could you not pick the Giants to win this division? I don't understand.
0: I definitely do agree with you there. Obviously, the most balanced team. A lot of my predictions are actually standing up alongside yours because it's a, like, 10-7 winning division, stuff like that. Uh, The third
1: question was about Izzo. Now, he's got that little bit of experience with the Patriots. Look, they could go by bringing up a tight end. Obviously, Hausman is also another option, okay? Um, But they could also go with the three running backs, the fullbacks. You could use Penny or Golaspia. Or Brightwell as an H-back. They could do that. I don't know that they will, but they could. And they could also then go with a jumbo package. Bredesen has played some third tight end with the Ravens as the jumbo tight end in the jumbo package. So they could use a combination of a fullback as an H-back and Bredesen as the extra lineman in a jumbo. So they don't have to bring up another tight end, but they certainly could.
0: Definitely. Um, guys, you guys can obviously check out Paul Dottino. He's on Twitter, Giants WFAN. He's on WFAN, Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff. Uh, he's on Giants First and Ten every Friday on MSG Networks. Uh, Paul, thank you for coming on, man. It's always a pleasure to hear the insight from you.
1: Good to talk to you again. Be well.